Let's get into some word. Yes. If, you, if you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and get that out or look it up. And uh, if you're new with, new with us or new to church or new to a church that uses a Bible, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds passive aggressive. Uh, I don't, if you're not used to doing it, we do. That's how we do things here. And uh, Pastor Bill tells a story about coming to, uh, when his wife wanted to come visit our church years ago and, and he didn't want to, <laughs> that he turned us on TV and he heard me say, open your Bible. And that, that uh, convinced him because he was told growing up by his pastor that don't go to a church if they don't say, open your Bible. Because I guess, what are you preaching then? So it convinced him, and he ended up on staff. So <laughs> beware. <laughs> if you would, uh, turn with me to the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 2. Colossians, chapter 2. And I want to begin a new message today. Uh, the other one wasn't totally finished, I don't think. Sometimes I get towards the end of a series, or where I think is the end, and it's like, I've got more to say, but I have to just really pray and be led of the Lord. Do I need to say it? Because we have limited time, and I want to get to you what is right for now. And so that's my heart. So Colossians chapter 2, I want to begin in verse 8, where it reads, beware lest anyone cheat you. Well, that's kind of quite a warning. How many know there are those who want to cheat you? Yeah, what should you do about that? <laughs> Target and take them out. No, <laughs> no, beware of them. Be aware. Be aware of this possibility. Be on guard. Not be in fear of it, but just be conscious of the reality that it could happen. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Here's the methods. Through philosophy an empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So you can see that the method of deception, it contains the tradition of men and the principles of the world, and say, well, what is that all about? Well, here's one clue is its opposite, it's a contrast to Christ. So if I hear something, if I'm being led to think or believe a certain thing, and it's contrary to what is revealed in Christ, I know it's a trick. It's a deception. If it's pulling me away from reality of life in Christ, the end result is I'm going to be robbed of something that I want, something that I need, something that God intends for me to have. So that can help us to discern right from the get-go, is this thing, is this thought, is this belief or action drawing me near to reality in Christ, life in Christ, or is it pulling me away from it? And if it is pulling me away, come on, that is one of the worst things you could ever do in life. It's deceptive, though. That's why we see this. It's deceptive, so don't think it couldn't happen, right? But th there are some things, there are some forces at work to try to pull us away from the reality of what we have and who we are in Christ. And I must guard against that because that is extremely dangerous. He goes on to say, for in him, in 
Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, everything of God is in Christ. I need not seek God outside of him. All right? And you, so that's Jesus. Now, and you, talking to who? Who's you? You is believers. You saved people. You as Christian. You, the church here in Colossae and us. And you are complete in him. So you who? Okay. Him, him who? Him who? Jesus or Christ. You who? I just wanted to say that again. <laughs> uh, you, so that's us in Christ. Him is, is Christ. You are what in him? Complete. All right. Who is the head of principality, of all principality and power? So question then, could a Christian be robbed of the full benefits that belong to them in Christ? Yeah, the answer, answer is yes, okay? So believing wrong things has a real, a real and negative effect upon our earthly experience, okay? I, I don't mean after someone's saved that they, if, if they believe a few things wrong that they're not gonna go to heaven. I'm not saying that at all, but it has a direct impact on here and now. And this is where people are often uh, cheated, they are, they, are, they are robbed, all right? Now think of this, okay? The word complete, if I am complete in him, what does it mean to be complete? Probably what you think, but let me elaborate on it anyway. Complete, the, from the Greek, uh, means to make full, to fill, to fill up, to fill to the full, to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally to perfect, to consummate, all right? Now, if you are in Christ, then you are complete, okay? This is a belief, this is a mentality that's true, so we want to make sure we're on board with it. It's accurate, so I want to know, I need to understand what it means, and then I need to embrace it. Why? The lack of embracing it will allow me to be cheated. So I need to know what it means, and then I need to embrace this. So if you're in Christ, you are complete. So what would that mean for someone who's not in Christ? Incomplete. We could say lacking. They haven't been filled to the full. There is a real, genuine deficit in someone's life that's outside of Christ. For, for, for those of us who are believers, the way to think is not, well, I've pretty much always been you know, a good person, no, you haven't. Watch, stay with the revelation here. You were outside of Christ at one point. And then you were in. So you were without, lacking. And now if you've received the Lord, now you're full. Now you're complete. So I can't think, well, someone says, well, I was saved at a young age. That's fine. You may not have memory uh, completely of life outside of Christ if you were really young. But you were without. I can't fully appreciate and benefit from what it means to be complete in Christ if I don't readily acknowledge that I once was lost. I once was empty. I once was without. And here's part of the temptation, okay? Uh, part of the temptation, which is the deception, is to think 
even though I've received the Lord, I need something else. There's something else necessary to complete me or to satisfy me or to bring contentment in my life. And if I think that's the case, I'm probably going to go looking. And if I am seeking to add something to completion, it's only going to draw me away from the experience of being full and complete and satisfied. And we all know this and probably been there, done that, have pursued fulfillment outside of Christ. We think this house will get it for me. This vacation will do it for me. This whatever, a material or this experience or this person. And if I only had them or if I could go there, if I could have these things, then I'd really be complete. No, you really are complete in Christ. Those other things are fine as long as I'm not leaning on them to make me complete, to fill me up. Everybody with me? It's a really big problem. And the lack of, of, of believing this uh, sets the stage for us to be cheated, for us to be robbed of what we really have. So recognizing this completeness in Christ is uh, a safeguard against deception. So what I'm teaching here today, what I'm starting to teach will be your protection. Embracing it, believing it, saying it, thinking this way will keep you from being robbed. I'm, I don't want you getting ripped off. I don't want to get ripped off myself. Out of full life. Out of a complete life. Out of what the Lord has, has given me. And so, one of the, again, one of the big lies the enemy uses is this lack of contentment. It's the belief that we're without and lacking uh, without, and we're lacking that which we need to fulfill and satisfy, all right? So if what you already have is what you seek, then why seek it? What, let me pose it as a question, what if you already have the thing that you want? Hallelujah. What if we're chasing after something that we already have? We're looking for it, yet we already have it. It's already our possession. We have to ignore or deny the reality of what is in order to continue to pursue something that we think will be that game changer for our lives. And so another way, a more harsh way to say that is we have to deny Christ in order to pursue something else to satisfy us. We have to say, Lord, you are not enough. And what you did for me through, your, through, your, through the cross and your redemptive, redemptive work is, is insufficient. I need something else. And how many know, like, that's like heresy to us. If you're a Christian and you know anything about the Bible and theology, you know world religions want to add requirements to be accepted by God. You need to do something else. You need to do something more. And if anyone says, well, I believe in Jesus and, you know, like a popular thing around the Northwest, 
I need Jesus and, we say, oh, no, 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 you can't add anything. to it. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, and nothing else. And you start adding to that, you, you left the gospel. We know that. But I wonder if we're doing that, maybe not in trusting God for eternal life and salvation, but in day-to-day satisfaction, we're still doing the same thing. Yikes. I didn't know this was going to be a scary message, but... And you are complete in him. Complete. Uh, I gave you that definition. Did I give you that definition? To make full all those things? Now let me give you the, the, the definition of the word perfect. Perfect was in, in that Greek definition of, of, of complete. Perfect is, is having all the required or desirable elements, qualities, uh, or characteristics as good as it is possible to be. So if I could say, if I say I'm perfect, and don't trip over that word yet because I'll get you past it. If I say I'm perfect in Christ, I am saying I have everything that's desirable, everything that's required, all the qualities, all the character, characteristics. I am as good as it can possibly be. My life is as good as it can possibly be. Hallelujah. Now, think of the word perfect in, uh, for you English grammar folks. Perfect tense, the perfect tense of a word means it, the, it, it's, it, it's written this way, denoting a completed action or, or a state or habitual action that began in the past. So a word in the perfect tense, it's completed. Or it started and it, it's the, the work started in the past and it continues on, present in its completed form. All right? So this gives us insight to what God says we have or what we are in Christ. What's the word? Perfect. Complete. Lacking nothing not waiting on anything else to happen, not 50% there working on the rest. No, in him, these things are absolutely established. And that's the basis, the platform for everything else God does. And it's the thing that will be under greatest attack from the enemy and those who want to uh, cheat us is to get us off that platform thinking it's not finished, it's not complete. There's some things God left undone. There's some things that are missing in my life, and I guess I just won't ever fully be happy till I'm in heaven. Wow. That's a belief that'll cripple us. I look forward to heaven as much as the next guy, maybe more. <laughs> but if I entertain the idea that I'm not gonna be really happy fully satisfied, completely perfect until I get there, then I've opened the door to be robbed of life here. I've cracked the door and now deception comes in and cheats me out of some of what God intended for me to experience in Christ. All right, now, everybody okay so far? 
one of the things that helps us to understand God and the Bible and, and our life in Christ is to know what was and what is and what is to come and to be able to decipher and distinguish the difference. I need to know what has already been done. I need to know my present state and I need to know what is still, has, still hasn't happened and is a future event, okay? One of the big areas of confusion that some Christian ha- Christians have involves the belief that God has not done the thing that they seek. So I want this, I need this, and I'm waiting on God to do it. What if he already did it? What if I'm pursuing something that he already gave me? What if the thing that I desire has already been given, has already been established, has already been granted, and he's not going to touch it anymore? That's a good question. Thank you. That's why I posted it. Uh, <laughs> knowing the, the age in which we live is vital to how we relate to God and how we deal with negatives like demonic attack and influence. Okay? Think about it in, the, in relationship to human age. We know that in our country, when people turn 16, 18, 21, 25, there are different uh, restrictions that are removed from their lives, okay? Like you couldn't drive a motor vehicle before, but now you can, right? Or you couldn't vote, but now you can. Or you couldn't enter into a legal contract or get married without, you know, a parent or parental permission, or m- many of these things, or rent a car, right? Uh, or or go, to, go to prison <laughs> <laughs> until you reach certain ages, then the restrictions are lifted. Now you can totally go <laughs> for a long time. Um, in like manner, there are ages uh, that God has established, but they're not chronological chronological ages for our, 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 ourselves personally, but, but there are ages within history, okay? One biblical word is, is the word dispensation. There are dispensations, and in the various dispensations, God dealt with people in different ways. It's one of those keys to understanding the Bible. Take out the spiritual reality and take out God and his word, people look at history and it's all just one block. It's all just physical, biological, it's earthly. But when you know God, you see that he related to people in different ways at different times in history and it was based on the fact that there's sin and him dealing with sin in various stages. We live in a certain age that the things that are true now haven't always been true. It hasn't always been reality or available to us. But if I have the mentality of a previous age or even a future one, then I am not going to be able to thrive in this period of time. I could be relating to God in an improper way and not know why. 
This is why when we study the Bible, we read the Bible, it's important to know not only what was written, but when it was written. Not only when it was written, but to whom was it written. Yeah? And so there are, and I'm not going to go deep into this, just, to, I'm just for awareness sake, there are seven dispensations that we see in the scripture of uh, going back through history, going back to Genesis chapter one. And so uh, let me show you those, see if you can find where we are uh, on this list. There are, there's dispensation of innocence, of conscience, of human government, of promise, of the law, of grace, and of divine governments or the millennium, all right? Does anybody know where we are on that? Yeah, we're at number six, the dispensation of grace, or this is called the church age, or we could say the day of salvation, okay? This is how God deals with us. Now, all of us were born in this time, so it's been available to us our whole lives, whether you knew the Lord or not. It's been available to us the whole time, but I can't relate to God in this grace dispensation in the same way that, say, uh, King David did under the law. Or even how, how Adam did in, in the time of innocence or in the time of conscience, okay? And again, I don't want to go through all the details of all those things, but I need to know where I am because the rules that govern this age that started when Jesus was raised from the dead until now, and I think we're at the end of it, but the rules that govern this time are different. I can't read the whole Bible and say, that applies to me directly, okay? I learn from the whole Bible, but I have to say, does that verse apply to this age? Does that promise fit my life during this time? If I know what I have, then I know what I can do, I know what I can resist, I know what I should accept, I know what I shouldn't accept, yeah? And, and so this is really, really important, okay? Knowing that God deals with people differently based on dispensation in which we live is key to proper biblical understanding and our interaction with him. For example, am I a sinner looking for a savior, waiting for a savior, or has the savior come and the savior is waiting on me to respond to his offer, okay? Now, you read the, a, the biggest portion, at least page-wise, of the Bible, they were looking for a savior. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. I'm not doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. Well, if God wants to save me, I guess he will. <laughs> no, he done did that. He already sent himself, became a man, became flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross and bore our sin, right? He already did this. So if I'm waiting on him, I'm not going to get anywhere because reality is he's waiting on us. He's waiting on people in the world to respond, to accept him what he did. Now, in... Uh, in the Old Testament, during a time recorded in the Chronicles, uh, there was a guy named Issachar. Anybody named Issachar here? Uh, uh, Issachar had some sons, and they were really sharp with this issue. In 1 Chronicles 12, 32, it says they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 
So they, they, had a, they didn't just know what time it was on their watch or, or you know, look at the sun or however they did that. Uh, it wasn't that. They, un, they understood the times in which they were living. And this is what we need to, to be aware of and have discernment of as well. In, in the book of Acts, Paul was preaching in this place uh, called uh, Mars Hill, and they were idol worshipers, and they were really confused, and they didn't know what they're worshiping. So he goes in there preaching, using their own doctrine against them, and uh, talk to him about some things. He's, and he's, this is what he said in Acts 17, 29. He said, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or, and man's devising. I mean, no, God is not of man's devising. Salvation isn't human or creation oriented, right? Verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Think about, think about that conceptually, that there was a time, times of ignorance, and God overlooked it. Doesn't mean it was right or okay, but, well, you know, he overlooked it. But, but Paul said, but now he's not that way anymore. He used to act this way, but now he commands everyone to repent. Now, it's not okay for you to just do whatever you want to do, think whatever, whatever way you want to think, believe what you want to believe, worship whatever you want to worship. No, now it's time to get it right. Time's up. Get it right. Get things on track. And so God tolerated their idolatry, which was a disgrace to the world, but now that a complete revelation had come, he was demanding that all that stuff stop and that every, men everywhere would repent, okay? In Acts 14, 16, it reads, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. In other words, he used to, but not anymore. Not okay to do this anymore. Just because God overlooked something in the past doesn't doesn't mean he will again, right? It's kind of like we may permit certain behavior from our children. Parents, when they're five years old, they may be allowed to act in certain ways that they're not when they're 15. And by the way, that's advised parenting wisdom. <laughs> Don't let your 15-year-old act like a five-year-old. Sometimes they'll try. Yeah. Right? Think God ever has that problem with, with us? How long have you been saved? <laughs> How long have you known the Lord? How long have you been in church? You're still doing that? What? You're still taking offense to people's carnality? <laughs> You're still... <laughs> probably a number of things that could be listed in that category. But we do that with with our kids and certain things aren't tolerated later. And I think this could be observed. I think it's a good point to make to this, that certain things that we did uh, when we were young in the Lord um, are not permitted when we're older in the Lord. I don't mean they were ever okay, but I mean, it's like kind of like God overlooked it because of our age, our lack of knowledge. He, he does relate to us on some level based on what we know. And if we know better, some things we're not allowed to get by with. So if you were to say or you were to think, 
Well, I've never experienced that. The Lord telling me more. I wonder if you're not listening. If when you were three months old in Christ and five years old in Christ or 10 years old in Christ, has the Lord never advanced you? Has he never taught you more or, or said, you know that thing that you used to do? You need to quit. Maybe change your entertainment choices. Maybe change some of your habits of the th places you go and the things you do. Has that never happened? I think most of us, if you, if you walk with the Lord for more than a minute, that has happened. You say, well, why didn't he say anything to me about this last year? You were dealing with other stuff. Right? You were still a toddler. <laughs> You were, you were learning and growing, but now you've acquired some information. He wants your walk with him to, to, to go further. Amen, amen, amen. He least used to not get on me about certain things, but now it seems like every time I do this, the, like the Lord's not okay with it. It's like, ah, I get checked about this. Good for you. He loves you. He's, he's training you to come up and to be more than you've ever been before. And so, uh, again, just because he looked, overlooked something in the past doesn't mean he will again. So be open to that. How many know it's not just about what we know, but it's about what we do with what we know? Meaning the what is our walk with God and our spirituality. We're destroyed for a lack of knowledge, Hosea 4, 6 says. But right after that, it says that they were destroyed because they rejected knowledge. And so if I, if I hear things, if I find find out information, whether it's in church or reading my Bible, and, and I don't do anything with it. I actually go backwards instead of forwards. Amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody okay? Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. And so God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but his dealings with mankind are based on his covenants that are established and individually based on some of the things that we know. Now, what I said earlier, I'll say it again. Everything that has been established in Christ is the foundation for everything that he will do in and through us. I can't move off that platform. That's why I'm cheated, I'm deceived whenever I get away from that foundation. And there are ideas and concepts and demons galore that are moving to get us away from it away from the completeness that we have in Christ. Now, before the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the focus of the scriptures and of people was on what would happen in the future, what, would, what, would, what was to come, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies, the Savior of the world. But then the focus shifts there are still things to come, but much of the focus is now looking backwards. It's why we do things like communion. What are we doing? We're looking backwards. We're looking at what already happened because that event changed the course of history. That event changed our lives. Everything I do now is based upon that event, based upon Jesus' death, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and so forth. It is all tied to that. If I do anything or think anything that is not connected to or related to that, then I'm probably 
yielding to this vain deceit, this empty deceit. I'm yielding to something that is going to move me away from the fullness that I have in Christ, that completeness. Okay? Now, when Jesus was on the cross, he said several things. At the very end, right before he took his last breath, it is written in John 19.30. So, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is, what's the word? Finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So he, Jesus said, it is finished. Prior to that, it wasn't finished. And then it was finished. Okay? When he said it is finished, he meant then. Not before. In other words, what he did right there changed everything. What he did right there had to happen. What he did right there wasn't complete, wasn't finished, and then it was. Now, let me say something about that in a second. First of all, what was finished? Not the entire plan of salvation. Obviously, Jesus died. He had to then descend into the belly of the earth, right? He had to lead a multitude of captives out of there. He had to ascend on high. He had to be seated at the right hand of God. Right? He had to present his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. So the entire redemptive plan wasn't complete, but, but the law and the sacrifices of the Old Testament, his earthly ministry, those things were done. They were over, they were finished, they were complete. And, but this is real important again, that it wasn't finished before this. It had to be finished. What Jesus did was not symbolic, but actual. There was some undone stuff. It had to be done. Say, so don't you mean like it was just a nice thing or is a good idea? We actually mean this is the basis for our victory in life. It had to be done. Jesus, when he was trying to prep his disciples for this on multiple occasions, he would tell them about what was going to happen. Like in Mark 8.31, he began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer. He, 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 what, he what suffer? Must. He must suffer. Take that language serious. From God's perspective and the Lord Jesus, he had to do this. Amen. He had to suffer. It was required. Listen, if he didn't suffer, you and I get to suffer. If he doesn't suffer, I have to suffer. So the only way for us not to suffer, and that was God's goal, is the lack of suffering for us, is he had to suffer for us. If he didn't do that, we have to suffer. So I never want to make light of or think in any way less of, of Jesus' sufferings. He had to do that. And if I don't believe that, and if I don't believe that, I'm not going to think this way. I'm going to think I have to suffer. I'm going to think, yeah, I have this coming to me. You know, you wake up sick and you think, yeah, I probably deserve this. Or you got health problems, you think, yeah, you know, I guess some of these things, you just can't control this. No, you're not thinking right. You're thinking incomplete. Jesus had to suffer. Why? Because he deserved it? No, 100% no. He had to suffer because I deserved to suffer and he loved me. And that's the only way to get me to not suffer is he had to suffer for me. 
It's the foundation to, that stops the enemy's attacks. It's no, no, Jesus suffered for this. No, Jesus suffered in my place. That changes how I act, okay? Jesus is not a good idea or one of many acceptable pathways. Jesus had to do this. I, I should not think or speak or act as if Jesus didn't die and rise. Here's a question. Now, how is your life different because Jesus died and rose? And I don't just mean I'm going to heaven. That's first and foremost, yes. How is your life right here and right, right now on the earth different because Jesus died and rose? If I'm not able to answer that, you know, somewhat quickly and articulately, I have probably been moved away from Christ. I've moved away from the revelation of my completeness in him. I might even think, even though I probably wouldn't say it, that I'm not much different based on what Jesus did at the cross. It's the same. You hear these kind of people will say things like this. Well, God can do whatever he wants to do. How popular is a statement like that? Then what do you mean? Then why did Jesus say, I must suffer? If God can do whatever he wants to do, then you mustn't suffer. Then he could have saved us or done whatever he wanted to do without Jesus suffering. But if he couldn't do whatever he wanted to do, Example, save us without the suffering of Jesus. Then the suffering of Jesus had to happen. And if that had to happen to get me to where I'm supposed to be and where God wants me to be in his interaction with me, then the rest of my earthly life is also contingent upon that reality. And I can't let myself move away from that because Jesus said I must. So I must think he had to. He had to do that. He had to do, and because he did that, now my life is complete. Now, because of that, I'm lacking nothing. Someone said, I don't know. I'm still kind of not feeling it. What? That thought is moving you away from completeness in Christ. That's what robs us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I preached past my time. Let me give you this. You said it wasn't complete when Jesus said it was complete. Not some of the things were complete. Say, what about the rest of it? Is that complete? In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do you sit down? In a few minutes, I'm about to sit down <laughs> like this and go, I can't breathe out yet. Uh, why? Because I'll say, that service is done. That, I'm not doing anything. This is, I'm not going back. It's finished. It's done. I'm going to sit down. When I'm done for the day, I'm going to sit down and stay. <laughs> I'm going to sit and remain. I'm not going to work on this anymore. All right? Why did Jesus sit down at the right hand of God? 
It's done. It's finished. Well, I just need the Lord to do this for me. No, He already did it. 100%, He took care of everything that we need in this life and in eternity. It's, all, it's complete. It's not partial. Are there any partial Christians in here? Are there any like, well, I, you know, mostly. I mean, most, no, that, those don't exist. God didn't make any of those. He didn't make any, any partial Christians. You came to Christ and he filled you. He made you new. He made you a new species of being, a new creation. And he finished the job instantly. Yeah. He's saying there's nothing else. No, there's lots to learn. But salvation becomes a one and done event. Amen. Amen. And it's anything... I don't want to just repeat myself. I'll repeat myself next week. <laughs> it's anything that removes us away from that reality that gets us off into deception and therefore being robbed of how significant and final and complete that work in Christ was. That sets the stage for everything else to flow. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the message today. I trust it has been a blessing and a help to your life. You know, the most important thing we could ever do is to receive salvation, to receive eternal life. You know, Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price and it's available to every single one of us. Would you like to pray today? Say it from your heart, say it out loud. Dear God in heaven, I believe in you. I repent of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. He suffered in my place. He died so I could live. He was raised from the dead and he's alive today. I receive him now as my savior. I confess Jesus is Lord. Listen friend, if you prayed that prayer with me today, congratulations, you're in, you're saved, you're right with God. I would love to hear from you so we can send you some additional material to help you in your walk and relationship with God. Please text the word SAVED to 208-314-2660. Also, I'd like to invite you to join us for a live service this coming Sunday, and you are more than welcome to be here. Visit our website at lcboise.com for all of the current service times. Thanks again for joining us today. God bless you.